Take your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Daniel once again, Daniel and chapter 7, and this morning it is our goal to finish chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 15 through 28, verses 15 through 28, Daniel chapter 7, verses 15 through 28. If you're new to us here at Grace, once again, welcome. Thank you for being here. We're so glad that you are here. Perhaps you came and you don't have a Bible. Uh, we'd like you to have one, and so if you look under the chairs in front of you, somewhere along the aisle, there should be a copy of God's Word. In that copy of God's Word, it's on page 697, and if you don't have a Bible, then please take that with you as our gift uh, to you. We want you to know, as we remind our church family every week, or try to, everything we do is from God's Word. It is founded on and rooted in His revelation to us. These are not our thoughts, our pet peeves, our hobby horses, our opinions. This is the Word of God, and we want you to see that uh, there in front of you each Sunday morning. So Daniel chapter 7, and I'll start to read at verse 15. Follow along with me if you would. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints, and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast... There shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms of the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. This is the word of God. How many of you here this morning or watching online generally feel positive about what is happening in our world today? 
Unanimous. How many of you are feeling rattled? Things are not as they ought to be and seem to be getting worse. How much time do you spend watching news? How much time do you spend on the internet throughout the week watching YouTube videos of your favorite political analyst or pundit? How much time do you spend searching articles on your, from your favorite authors, your favorite perspective? How much do you keep yourself in the know as it relates to global happenings and news? And now let me ask you a follow-up question. How much time do you spend in the Word of God? And this is not a guilt question. This is a question of perspective. When our view, when our perspective is on all the things that are going wrong with our world, of all the legislation that is being passed that is anti-God, of all the decisions that are being made that we do not agree with, of all the wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters and of all the things that seem to be compounding, if that is our focus... If the result of human evil is large in our view, then we will be unsettled to a certain degree. But to the degree that God is our focus, that his sovereignty is what roots and grounds us, to the degree that we are resting on his promises, and are abiding in the one that Sarah opened with by reminding us who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one that never changes, the one that has all things under control and all things are working according to his plan after the counsel of his will, we will become to that degree less unsettled, less rattled, less unsure and unstable. But we often miss it, don't we? We miss the obvious. We miss the big thing. We miss the certain sure thing because our perspective, our viewpoint, our attention is on the lesser. And that is what we saw in the illustration. That's what we're going to see in our chapter here or the part of our chapter that's before us this morning. Perhaps up to this point too, just as a short aside, You may have seen Daniel as being somewhat uh, perfect. You may have thought of Daniel as being sort of somewhat sinless. Daniel's one of those Old Testament characters that we do not see a lot of his warts, a lot of his foibles, a lot of his sins and mistakes. Not so with Abraham and Sarah, with David and Samson, and the list goes on and on and on. But if we're not careful, again, as a quick aside, we can look at Daniel up to this point and say, this guy has nothing against him. At 15, he's kidnapped and taken to Babylon, passes that test with flying colors, and then he interprets dreams, he trusts God all the, through the way, and then even when he's in his 80s and thrown in a den of lions, he sort of spends the night hanging out with a messenger from God, perhaps Jesus himself in a pre-incarnate form, and everything up to this point seems like Daniel is amazing. And Daniel is quite an example of faith and trust to be sure, but here we see some of the humanity of Daniel. He's just like us. 
It's amazing to me because God blesses Daniel in two ways. He allows Daniel to see the future. That is something that very few humans are privileged to know. But he also blesses Daniel in an even greater way in that he shows him a vision of himself that is more clear than perhaps any other New Old Testament character up to this point has seen and described. And yet, with the focus on the Ancient of Days that we saw two Sundays ago, the focus on the Son of Man and all of his glory that we saw last Sunday, where do we begin with the interpretation? And so we see in the first place the assurance of victory is unnoticed. I had to go to a thesaurus to try to find different words for not noticing the obvious, and you'll see that as we go down through our um, outline this morning. Yeah, 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 the Ancient of Days, Son of Man, Thrones, got that, God's in control, absolutely, but what about this fourth kingdom? This, is, this fourth beast is really, really messing with my head. So notice in verse 15, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. Daniel is shaken. His focus is not on the Ancient of Days in his glory, verses 9 and 10. It is not on the crushing of this fourth beast, verse 11 and 12. It is not even on the glorious Son of Man, verses 13 and 14 we looked at last Sunday, which no doubt cast Daniel's mind back to chapter 2 and the uh, image that Nebuchadnezzar dreams of and the stone cut without hands that crushes the statue which represents human kingdoms. All of this points to that no matter how bad things get, and they will get even worse, God is in control, all people will answer to him, and at the end of all things, he continues to rule and reign forever and ever. And yet, Daniel doesn't seem to see that, and instead just is still a little worked up over this fourth beast. He's anxious in his spirit, and the visions of his head alarmed him. Rather than soothing him, calming him, rather than saying, okay, it's going to get bad, really bad for the people of God, but God is going to crush all human kingdoms and set up his forever and ever. He never leaves his throne. He never stops ruling and reigning over all things. He always is in control all the time. Instead of that being Daniel's focus, he completely misses that seemingly and focuses instead on the scary parts of the vision. So what does he do? He approaches one of those who stood there, presumably perhaps an angelic being, and asks him about this. So he gives him the interpretation. We see this a concise interpretation given. These four beasts are four kings that shall arise out of the earth. Now we want more details, don't we? And this is what Pastor Luke mentioned as he teed up not just chapter 7 of Daniel, but the rest of Daniel, and in reality all of Revelation, and all of prophetic and apocalyptic literature. We want details, details, details. Give me details. Who are these beasts? What is this four-headed leopard and this bear with three ribs? What's the three ribs and what's going on there and who, when, and what, and why? This is what we want. We want details. And even in the interpretation, the angel doesn't give us all the details. Okay, we already knew that these were four kingdoms. Anything else? Nope. That's all you need to know. But notice the assurance of victory is reshared in verse 18. This is the point of these visions to Daniel. 
And we keep coming back there throughout the interpretation, and yet Daniel continually seems to miss it. My prayer is that we won't. Notice verse 18. The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. And just in case we missed it, forever and ever. No matter how bad human evil gets, no matter the atrocities committed by human kingdoms and human leaders, when it's all said and done, for all of eternity, time without end, the saints of the Most High will rule and reign forever, forever and ever. Daniel, this is the point. And Grace Baptist Church this morning, this is the point. No matter the continual negativity of the news cycle, no matter all of the assassinations and all of the machinations of world leaders and all of the crises and all of the protests and all of the, all this stuff that is jumbled around in our head and causes us perhaps to lose sleep at night, and all of that, the message of God's word from beginning to end has always been there is a God and he is in control of all things. And he loves you, is not indifferent to your suffering, has sent his son to enter into your suffering as a fully human person, the son of man that we were introduced to last week, to suffer and to die on a cross for your sins, to rise again from the dead on the third day so that you can walk in victory over sin and death, that you do not have to fear sin and death, but that you can walk in freedom knowing that you are loved, forgiven, and free by the one who made you. That ought to be the focus. That's the focus of these visions. But Daniel, the saints of the Most High, they will reign forever, forever and ever. But what is our second point this morning? The assurance of a victory is not only unnoticed, but it is ignored. Daniel says, great. We're going to rule forever and ever. Sweet. Amazing. However, there's this fourth beast that sort of has my attention here. Can we get more about the fourth beast? Notice his misguided focus. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast. This is different. Daniel's lived through two of these beasts, or at least one in the beginnings of the second. He has seen behind the curtain, so to speak, of what goes on in a tyrant's palace. He has been in the court of numerous dictators. He understands the heights of human evil or thinks he does. He has experienced a lot of evils, kidnapping and all sorts of things. He has seen attempted murder. His three friends are thrown into a fiery furnace and he has been thrown into a den of lions. He has seen political intrigue and what happens when someone actually cares and wants to do what honors God that those around him who do not want to honor God try to take him out. He's seen what he thinks is the worst of what humans can do and be. And yet there's more that's coming. There's more human evil that's coming. It gets worse. And he, so he stays, stays off focusing on God and just locks, laser-focused on the evil of humanity. Can't seem to get his mind off of that. This fourth beast has teeth of iron reminiscent of the iron legs and toes 
of the statue in Daniel 2. It also has bronze claws, which is a new detail given to us that was not previously revealed to us. They have ten horns, and then the other horn that comes up before which three fall. And this horn makes war with the saints, and not only that, prevails over them. Daniel is concerned not just for himself because he's not going to be around when this happens. But he's concerned about all the people of God. We know where Daniel's heart is because two chapters after this, his prayer is for his nation. And he starts with confessing his own sins and then the sins of his people. God, return us back to Judah. uh, Judah. Return us back to Jerusalem. When he sees the evil that is coming, the height of human malevolence, when he sees that, and all that that means for the people of God, he is shaken to his core. And yet, notice that assurance of victory is embedded even here. This is the key verse, I think, of this passage, is verse 22. Until. There's always time up. There's always accountability. There's always the time when God shows up. Until what happens in verse 22? The Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Daniel sees this, and even this is his own reiteration of the vision. This is what he saw. And embedded in this is until all of this takes place, human evil takes place and it crushes people and millions of people lose their lives at the hand of human evil. And we have seen it in our own recent history. Any of the kingdoms of man eventually degenerate into destructive evil power and authority. It's never used rightly. It's always used wrongly and people suffer because of it and Daniel sees this and it even impacts the saints of the most high but what's embedded here all of this takes place until God shows up God is not indifferent God does not take vacations God does not take naps God does not get distracted for a couple millennia God is always on the throne and all things are working after the counsel of his will But our God is long-suffering. And we want God to take judgment on our enemies now. Notice even when we get into the book of Revelation, what is the question that the saints have in Revelation 7? How long, O Lord? How many more of us are to be martyred before you step in? But I think part of it is that they don't realize what they're asking of God. When God shows up in Revelation 14 and God shows up in Revelation 19, when God shows up as judge, that is not something that I think we would wish on our worst enemy. To face God without any of his mercy and grace. The full ferocity of the stored up wrath of God against sin. That is powerful to behold. Judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. The only kingdom 
that will honor God and will actually be utopian, the only kingdom that will actually be all that it's supposed to be is the kingdom ruled and reigned over by King Jesus himself. That kingdom is coming. And if we know him, if we have a relationship with his father through him by his Holy Spirit, we will be a part of that kingdom. That's the end of the story. Not these middle chapters. It's, it's scary by times. It's hard. Suffering and pain and human darkness and evil. The misuse, the terrible misuse of power and authority. And yet the end of the story is God, as it always is. He's, he's the beginning, middle, end, end of every story. And yet Daniel seems to miss it. And so in the third place this morning, we see the assurance of victory reiterated. Since Daniel doesn't seem to have his focus correct, since his focus continues to be on human evil and not on God's sovereignty, it is reiterated for him again, starting at verse 23. Perhaps in your Bible, it is in mind the SV, this is narrowed into um, sort of speaking paragraphs. i put it this way. This is a speech from the one that he asked a question of. Notice we have more detail given in verses 23 through 25. There will be a fourth kingdom on earth, and there has been much ink spilled as to what this fourth kingdom is, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth, trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. Again, much ink has been spilt and much debate has been raged over what this is. But don't lose the focus. The focus in all of this is not on what are the names of these ten kings, when do they start to reign, who is this. When the European Union began to form and looked like we might get up to ten countries, everybody got excited. This has happened every time period of human history. Everybody's tried to figure out what this is, when is this going to happen, and we miss the reality. What is the point of this? The point of this is not to glorify human evil and to be cowed into submission by it. The point of all of this is victory. Don't miss the point of this. And yet Daniel seems to, and oftentimes we do as well. Notice in verse 25, there are three things that this individual is going to do. And anyone who is in the spirit of this one, which we have seen down throughout human history, tries to do the same thing. It's the same thing that Satan attempts to do, Isaiah 14. First of all, he'll speak words against the Most High. This is an outright blatant assault against the sovereignty of God. This is an individual who presumes to be God. This is not one who is ruling and reigning under deferred authority from God. This is one who attempts to put himself in the place of God. Going all the way back again to Lucifer who says in Isaiah 14, I will be like the Most High. That is the spirit of arrogance of this person. And we have seen this down throughout human history. How many human rulers would fit this description? blasphemous against the Most High. Notice in the second place, he will wear out the saints of the Most High. It is always those who speak the truth that are most persecuted in a kingdom that values lies and deception. In any nation that elevates lies and deception above truth, those who tell the truth and live the truth will be despised. 
the saints of the Most High are worn out. And how often has this happened? How often does this continue to happen? We can read Fox's Book of the Martyrs and yet realize that in our day, there continue to be multiplied thousands and even millions of martyrs for the faith, for believing in Jesus Christ. And in the third place, this one will think to change the times and the law. Back in chapter 2, only God has the times and the seasons and the laws under his control. But this individual will attempt to change all of that. I am God, says this one. I will change what I want to change. I will speak things into existence that I want to be spoken into existence. I will deny the actual law of God and attempt to make my own law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Appears to be three and a half years, although times is not double time, it's times, so it could be an indeterminate. But what's interesting is half a time, there is accountability, there's an end date on this. Whatever this is, and we'll get into more of this as we go through Daniel and then Revelation, whatever time this is, the key point is that time will be up at some point. There, there is an exp expiration date to this person's authority and their kingdom. Notice then that assurance of victory is reinforced in verses 26 and 27. But the court shall sit in judgment. The Ancient of Days took his seat, chapter, or verse 9. There are thrones. Those that previously had appeared to have no power are actually the ones that are sitting in judgment over this one who appeared to have all power. Those that follow God, those that submit and worship him, know they're submitting to and worshiping the one who spoke all things into existence, the one who is sovereign over all things, and the one to whom all things must answer. It shouldn't rattle us when bad times come, when suffering comes, when chaos reigns, because we know that that is going to expire, that's going to come to an end. That is not the final word. God is the final word and has the final word. This one's dominion will be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. What is the point of all of this? It is not to become unsettled by the ferocity of human evil. It is not to despair because of the heights of human malevolence. It is also not to weary ourselves in attempting to find details where details are not given to us. This angel has every opportunity to say to Daniel, okay, so Daniel, you're a servant of God, and I appreciate all your service, so here's the deal. This, it's gonna, this is going to happen in AD 586, and, uh, or AD 239, and then this is the name of the person, all this kind of stuff. It doesn't do that. Why? Because it's not the point. That's not the point of this. There's enough detail given that when it happens, as Pastor Luke mentioned three Sundays ago, we will go, oh yeah. How often did Jesus say that he was going up to Jerusalem to be killed? 
numerous times he says to the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem to be given over into the hands of the leadership and they are going to kill the Son of Man. And how many times did they get it? Zero. But after it happened, oh yes, I remember Jesus saying something about that. The whole point of this, though, is victory. The whole point of this is God is in control. The whole point of this is there is no power greater than God's power. The point of this, that no king is the king of kings and lord of lords except Jesus Christ the righteous. That, that's the whole point of this. And Daniel seems to miss it. Because in our fourth point this morning, we see that the assurance of victory is doubted. Daniel is human, just like us. Here is the end of the matter, reminiscent of Ecclesiastes. This is the conclusion of it. This is it. And yet, Daniel, in vulnerability, says to us, but as for me, Daniel, again referencing his own self, as he has just done in verse 15, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed. The last time we saw this was at Belshazzar. But I kept the matter in my heart. Daniel is somewhat frazzled. He's still shaken. He's still unsettled by this. Despite God's best efforts to get him to see what he actually needs to see instead of focusing on the other stuff that he's focusing on. And it's the same with us. We went through the pandemic, whether you even consider it one or not, looking back, there's all kinds of opinions and thoughts. Families broken, friendships severed, all because people got their attention off God and onto lesser things. Not necessarily unimportant things, but always lesser things. Wars, rumors of wars, fighting against life and perpetuating a culture of death in our own nation. Coming after those that believe and speak and live out by God's grace the truth. Things are not going to get better, they're going to get worse. It's not a sunny message for us as believers to say, believe in Jesus Christ and your life is awesome. Now it is, because you have a relationship with the one who is awesome. But your life is going to be marked by pain and suffering. We are going to be recipients of pain and suffering and human evil, because we are still evil and those around us are still evil, but we are going to be particular markers for human evil because we stand for truth. And God does not sugarcoat that or candy coat that for Daniel, but what does he do? He gives Daniel a vision of himself and his son. When Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished. He meant it. Sin is not the final say. Death does not have the final word. Suffering and pain and evil are not the last chapter. No, what we get to look forward to forever and ever, throughout all of eternity, is God ruling and reigning as he currently is and has always been. 
That's what's coming. So no matter how much YouTube we watch, no matter how much our favorite political analyst or favorite pundit gives advice, and usually what happens is they just run down the other side. And all we're actually doing is hating on one part of the population, but not building anything up. There's nothing constructive there. And it does damage to our soul to focus on human evil. What ought we to do? We ought to focus on the goodness and the power and the grace and the mercy of Almighty God. That should be our focus. Daniel's rattled. Sometimes we are too. We don't have to be. Because our God reigns. And so the response from us this morning, this is our question to consider. Despite the seeming chaos of our time, are we standing firm in the sovereignty of God? Perhaps you're here this morning and you do not know him. You know about him. You've heard of God. You've heard of the Bible, his word. And yet you don't have a relationship with him. As we try to do every Sunday, we're here to introduce you to him and the way into a relationship with him. It is repentance of your sins and to trust in his sacrifice on your behalf and that alone for salvation. You are the problem, I am the problem, and you and I can't fix it. We can't make ourselves better. We can try harder to do better, but it will always fail. We need help. Help has come. Jesus Christ the righteous has come. He's become one of us. He has lived righteously, died sacrificially, and raised back to life from the dead victoriously. That is the message that we proclaim Sunday in and Sunday out. And our hope and our prayer is that you would know him. Talk to the person who invited you here this morning. Talk to one of the elders. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus Christ the righteous. For those of us that do know him, do we know him in all of his glory? Do we see him in all of his power and his strength and his grace and his mighty and his might and his gentleness and his goodness and his kindness and his righteousness and his holiness? Does it stabilize our hearts to know that no matter what comes through the news cycle, our God is in control? Does it settle us and root us and ground us to know that the future is a place where God already is? He's already there. He is eternal. There is nothing that is missed by his gaze. The books will be opened. Every injustice will be held to account. Every act of evil will be judged. And our prayer is that that will have already been done on your behalf by Jesus Christ the righteous on the cross. Don't miss the obvious by becoming distracted by other things, lesser things. In this case, don't be like Daniel. Focus on the almighty, sovereign God of the universe. Because what is coming is the saints of the Most High, ruling and reigning with him forever, yea, forever and ever. That is the end of the story. And that ought to give us great hope today. Let's look to him in prayer this morning. 
Father, thank you for your great love and your goodness and your immeasurable kindness and grace to us. We are unworthy, and yet we are loved by you. More love than we can possibly fathom. Father, it is disconcerting when we see all of the hatred and the evil, all of the lies and deception, all of the attempts to cancel the voice of truth, to eradicate the voice of true love and righteousness and holiness and goodness and kindness and grace and mercy. And a world that seems dominated by those who deny you and hate you, we can sometimes feel like we are fighting a losing battle. What are we to do? How then shall we live? And yet, Father, you gently call us the same way you did your servant Daniel. Yes, human evil and all that it can do is grotesque and its power wrongly used is malevolent and destructive to horrifying degrees. Yet, there is always you, Father, You are always in control of all things. Everything happens by your will alone. And you have a plan for it all. There is meaning and significance and purpose in our pain and in our suffering. And one day we will look back and it will not even be worth mentioning for the glory that we experience in your presence, fully alive in you. The end of the story is not our frustration. The end of the story is not our feeling of weakness. The end of the story is not our helplessness. The end of the story is not our sinfulness and the sinfulness of others. The end of the story is not death and destruction and mayhem and chaos. The end of the story, Father, is you. You alone have made all things. You alone are remaking things through your Son by your Spirit, and you alone will one day make all things new. May our focus be there, and may that help us in the days ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.